0: right. Thank you, Joel. Man, you're doing a great job here. Um, We've been, we started last week with a series on anxious, being anxious for nothing. And we pulled that from Paul's uh, admonition to the people in the church in Philippi. Um, And I want to continue that. Last week, we, we talked about God's peace and desiring God's peace. And how sometimes we don't really want God's peace because it doesn't, give us significance. It seems ordinary. And uh, when we're in crisis, we get attention. And uh, when we have drama in our lives, we seem more important. And so we tend to be dismissive of God's peace. And yet, all of us have been in places in our lives where we hunger, we crave for that peace. We want all the turmoil to go away. We want to be reminded that all will be well. And so we, we began with that. Well, this morning I want to unpack very quickly what Scripture tells us about fear and uh, the role that fear plays in robbing us of God's peace. And I had a video. I'm not going to try to show the video because my computer's not hooked up to sound. Um, but um, I'll have, go ahead and roll it and I'll, I'll explain it to you. Some of you that are well-seasoned and a little more mature in age will recognize this uh, commercial from years ago. hold, my mic. Just hold my, Yeah, I, I could do that. The Pruitts drove all the way from Alaska. What? Alaska. Oh, Alaska. I counted license plates for 18 different Oh, states. it is coming through the system. Hey, Earl, what kind of motor oil do you use? Mm-hmm. Motor oil is motor oil. Motor right. oil definitely is not motor oil. Four-cylinder cars work harder and need specially formulated Valvoline 4 guard. Don't drive your car to an early grave. Okay. You can hear that very well. So let me, let me describe. Some of you, anybody remember that commercial? Okay. A couple of us car guys. So in the, in the commercial, the guy, you know, of course his car's burning a bunch of oil and he says, what kind of motor oil are you using? And his answer is, motor oil's motor oil. You know, motor oil's just motor It's all the same. In, in, in Kayleen's family, in my wife's family, that is heresy. That couldn't be farther from the truth. In fact, there's, there's deep divisions in her family, depending on which motor oil you use in your car. They're all car people. And so there's the, there's the Penzoil group, there's the Quaker State group, and there's the Valvoline group. And they have very strong opinions about that. And And they give you all this anecdotal stuff about how, you know, I use this motor oil and my car went for 250,000 miles without a problem, so it must be the good one. And they each make their own little defense of that. And then I came along, I was a poor college student when we were dating, and was checking the oil in my car as we were preparing to go back to college, visiting her family, and they're standing around, I'm checking the oil, and then here comes this loaded question, what kind of motor oil do you use? Motor oil is motor oil. So I went to the trunk of my car and I opened it up and I had like Walmart, no name, brand. The cheapest stuff a college student could find. You know that makes that? The same people that make the other motor oil? Yeah, exactly. Don't tell that to Kaylee's family. All right? So, so here's the thing. Um, go ahead and advance us there. Joelle, she has the uncomfortable position of standing right here next to me and wondering if I'm going to wander. Favorite. It's your favorite? It's the best. It's the be- I, I love that the you're good. Getting- That's right. You have the most expensive seat, box seats. So here's this passage. Paul, again, is talking. This time he's talking to Timothy. Timothy is his protege. Timothy's the one that he's training to come along behind him. And if you've read the epistles to, Tim- to Timothy, the letters to Timothy, you know that it's packed with all kinds of advice to a young leader. Someone who's up and coming. Timothy, here's what to do. Here's what not to do. And in this, he reminds Timothy. So there's a little preface to what I'm going to read. He greets Timothy at the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 1. And he says, Timothy, you're a great guy. And you have inherited an incredible legacy. Your mother and your grandmother served the Lord and loved the Lord. And you learned from them. And you gleaned all these things from them. And he goes on to say this. This is why, because of this heritage you have, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. So there's this sense as he's talking to Timothy that he goes, you know, you got this incredible gift of a mother and a grandmother who loved Jesus, served him, taught you, trained you, and now you have the opportunity to do the same thing. So don't be afraid and don't be timid, but instead be bold and do this. And so how is it that I am comparing fear and motor oil? Well, if you agree with Kaylee's family that motor oil is not motor oil, that it's all different, and you will certainly agree with me that fear is not just fear. There are different kinds of fear and they do different things to us and we should respond in different ways to different kinds of fear. So I have a little bit of, a, of an illustration here for you. It would be easy for us to just kind of lump it together and say, you know what, I'm experiencing fear, I'm afraid, and, and it's all the same, whether I was just in a, you know, in a close call in my car or whether I'm sitting at home worrying and wondering about telling my neighbor about Jesus. It's easy to lump it all together and just say, that's fear. Unfortunately, our English language doesn't do a very good job of differentiating these things. In the same way that we use one word to describe love, this incredibly complex concept, where Greek uses three words to describe love, New Testament Greek also uses three different words to describe fear. So, just to help you with this, we got some young people here. Some of us older people probably don't need this. A cupcake is a cupcake, right? They're all the same? Let's see about that. Some of us like to shop at Sam's. If you've ever shopped at Sam's, they have the selection of cupcakes. Have you ever bought this? These, my friends are amazing cupcakes. Have any of you had these before? Kayleen and I have. We're, we're giving it away. These are amazing cupcakes. There's four different varieties in here. So a cupcake is not a cupcake because I might say, you know, there's, there's two that are chocolate, there's two that are lemon, there's two that are coconut, and there's two that are strawberry. So they're not all the same. Some of you are going, who gets to score a cupcake today, right? <laughs> but these aren't just cupcakes <laughs> okay Joel gets the first choice so what's yours um well there's coconut strawberry chocolate and lemon now this is just a cupcake but what I want you to do we're not gonna nobody else is gonna get one for a minute Joel got the strawberry what I want you to do Joel is I want you to go ahead and kind of I know they're messy they got all kinds of stuff on them But I want you to bite into that, and after a couple of bites, I want you to tell me what's different about this cupcake. Why this is not just, you know, motor oil is motor oil cupcake. You raised your hand, young lady. (laughs) Okay, she's getting started. Take your time. But she's going to tell us in a moment that this cupcake is not like every other cupcake. Well, first of all, it's not like every other cupcake because it's got like two inches of frosting on top. But she, she chose wisely. The strawberry is very good. So when we talk about fear and we go, you know, uh, fear is fear. Whether I'm afraid of a lion standing over there or whether I'm afraid of talking to my teacher or whether I'm afraid of a conversation I need to have with my spouse, it's all the same. And in English, we could foolishly make that case. Fortunately, Scripture helps us to tear this apart a little bit and dissect it. Because when we lump it all together, we do that foolishly because not all fear is the same. And if we were to lump them together, that would be making a costly mistake. Because some fear is quite different to other fear. So I've got to give, like, she's even got to go get something to wipe up with. But how far are you into it? Let me see. No, me. can't see. even eat the cake. There's so much icing. Keep going. You'll get there. Um, so I, I have a friend. He, he recently passed away. An amazing man. And I had the privilege of being his pastor for nine years. And my friend Lloyd, um, some of you have heard me talk about him before. He served in World War II in the Pacific Theater. And years ago when I was his pastor, I preached another message on fear. And I talked about how fear can paralyze us. And after the service, he came up to me and he grabbed me by the arm. Uh, this guy is a decorated World War II veteran. Purple heart, two bronze stars, and an oak leaf cluster. For those of you that are in the military, they don't give those away. He came up to me afterwards and he goes, I want to tell you, I know what it means to be afraid. And we stood out there in, in front of the church on a sunny spring day and he told me, he said, you know, when we landed on the island of Leyte, it was the first I set foot of in, on anywhere outside of the United States. I mean, he'd been on Hawaii and then there. And he said, we landed and the first thing they did is they said, put down your firearm.'" Put down your rifle. Here's a shovel. Dig a hole. And they dug holes in formation to make a perimeter. And they said, dig it deep enough because you're going to sleep in that hole tonight and you don't want to get shot. And so they dug. And by nightfall, he and another fellow had a big enough hole that they had their own foxhole to sit in. And then he said, when it got dark, then the Japanese came. And the shots rang out. And the orders were just shoot outward because we have a nice perimeter and we've defended ourselves here. Don't shoot behind you because you'll shoot another soldier, another American infantryman. But he said something happened during the night and the Japanese overran one of the foxholes and all of a sudden they were behind us. And he said, my friend and I lay down in the bottom of our newly dug foxhole while the bullets went whizzing over our heads. And he said, I physically shook with fear. I had never experienced anything like that before, and I've never experienced anything like that again. And I know what it means to be afraid. Now, that's vivid. But I would tell you that being afraid of talking to my neighbor about Jesus is far different than that fear. And so I want to unpack it a little bit, and Joel's doing a great job. So, what's different about this, Joel? Okay, so there's, there's this filling on the inside. It's not just cake. This is not just another cupcake. These are like cupcakes on steroids. They're good, aren't they? Okay, so I've got seven more here. And I am really hoping to spoil some young people's lunch. So if we lump fear together, it's, it's not a good thing. Go ahead and advance us there without getting frosting on my computer, if you don't mind. I'm not helping you. In scripture, we read that that there are three different kinds of fear because they use three different words for it. And so it helps us to to define our fear and what that fear looks like. So there's one kind of fear, which is a fear that is the opposite of courage. It's the fear that says, I'm afraid to go out and do something that needs to be done. It's a scary thing, but it should be done. And, And we'll unpack that in just a moment, each of them. The next is, it it talks about fear that is uh, uh, the opposite of foolishness. I'm not going to do something. I'm afraid. I'm going to refrain. I'm going to keep distance from something because that is foolish and harmful to me. And then the third kind is a fear that is used to describe how we feel when we face something terrible. We face something that that is really, really scary. This is the Japanese shooting over our heads kind of fear. And I want to unpack these a little bit because our responses to the different fear in Scripture have different expectations. We should respond in different ways. So we're going to go ahead. Let's look at the fear versus courage. This kind of fear in Greek is called dahlia. And In the New Testament Greek, when we see this fear, it is always bad. This kind of fear is always defined as being something bad. So when they say, you know, when you experience this fear, it's not a good thing and you should somehow learn to overcome it. And the scripture I just read where Paul was writing to Timothy and says, you know, God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity. Some of your translations may just say he didn't give us a spirit of timidity. This is the kind of fear Paul is referring to. God did not give us this bad kind of fear that keeps us from doing something we should do. This is the fear that keeps us from doing a noble good. I had an experience yesterday. Kayleen and I had an experience yesterday. We were meeting our daughter Linnea and and we were driving down Seneca down toward Delano and as we're driving down the road, Sunday afternoon, hot and muggy, and here along the sidewalk, there's a man laying down. And he's not just laying down, he's on his back and he's spread eagle on the ground. And all these cars are just zipping by. And as we went by, I said to Kaylee, and I said, hey, you know, there could be, that, there's something wrong. You don't just lay down spread eagle on the sidewalk. And so I spun the car around and, and didn't spin the car, I turned around. But, you know, in the movie version, you know, we, yeah, okay. And, and I said to Kayleen, start calling 911 because, you know, if this guy is unconscious or dead, we need to get an ambulance out here. And so we pulled up and I put my hazard lights on and I got out and I walked up and there was a, there was a sense in me in that moment that I can, I can go out here and touch this guy and I may be the first person to find out that he's no longer with us. There's this apprehension. And it's probably the thing that kept... Ten other people just driving straight by. But I kneeled down next to him on the ground, and I said, hey, buddy. And I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, buddy. And as I did that, (laughs) he started to stir. He started to move his arm a little bit. Praise God. And then I said, hey, are you okay? And he goes, oh, yeah. I just decided to take a nap. Okay. Okay. Well, you're on the sidewalk, man. And and we had a little conversation. And in the course of about three sentences, I realized that he had taken in a large amount of alcohol. But in that moment, as I was walking up, there was a sense that, you know, I don't know if I want to touch this possible body, corpse. Or this person who, maybe in the middle of a medical crisis... But part of me felt like, I need to find out because no one else is stopping it. If he needs help, somebody needs to help him. And so there was this Dalia going on saying, hey, just get back in your car and drive on ahead. Because don't, you don't need to put yourself at risk by doing this noble good. Well, that is the same kind of fear that Paul is referring to Timothy and saying, don't be intimidated. Don't... We cause to hesitate and pull back from doing something that is actually good. So that's the first kind of fear. That's the fear that we're going to have to face, and hopefully, because we trust in God, we'll be able to overcome it. Here's the next kind of fear. This is the fear versus foolishness. And so in this, and, and bear with me as I try to pronounce, it, uh, pronounce this, because Greek is sometimes really hard to pronounce, and we don't have a lot of indicators, but it's eulabea is the Greek term. Eulabea is the second kind of fear. And this is the kind of fear that says, you know, I'm not going to do that because there are certain consequences that will come from this foolish accident. This is the kind of fear that looks at a hot stove and says, I'm not going to put my hand on there because that would be foolish and will cause harm. This is the kind of fear that says, I'm not going to run the red light because... That would not be a good thing and someone might hit me or I might hit them. And in, in the scripture, this form of fear is always good. This is always a good thing. The other one is always bad. Do not be intimidated. This one is do not be foolish. And this one is a fear that this, this is always a good thing. And so this is the fear that's referred to in the Old Testament when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Totally different thing. This is the kind of fear that says to us when we leave church this afternoon and head out from here, put your seatbelt on. Don't be foolish, be wise, because there are consequences to what we do. This is the fear that keeps us from doing the stupid thing. So now we have a good kind of fear. And we have a bad kind of fear. So we have this bad kind of fear that that intimidates us from doing what is noble. We have a good kind of fear that intimidates us from doing what is foolish and harmful. And then we have this third kind of fear. And this third kind of fear is the one that we probably know the best because of the word that it comes from. And that word is uh, phoboros. And I'm sure you are already guessing, some of you, what word in English we get from this. Phobia. This kind of fear is a little bit different. This phoboros fear is a fear that is kind of mixed. Sometimes it's good in Scripture and sometimes it's bad in Scripture. But it is always fear of something that is terrible. Always something that is terrible. Something that is terrifying. And so I wasn't terrified when I saw that guy laying on the the ground. I'm not terrified when I come up to a red light and think, oh my goodness, I might run the red light but let me tell you, when there's lightning going off around me, when we're being shot at, when we're being physically threatened, we know what this fear is. We know that there's something terrible about to happen. There's something dangerous around us, and we should be paying attention. Now, there are times when... Facing the danger is the thing to do. Yes, it's terrifying, but we need to go there. And other times, yes, it's terrifying, and we need to go the other way. And we have terms for this, right? Fight or flight. When we are faced with phoboros, we either engage and we give it everything we can with all the adrenaline we can muster and all that is within us. We know we're facing a terrible enemy. Or we say, let's get out of here. We have no business being here. Those are the three kinds of fear. But I come back to Paul saying to Timothy, you know, Timothy, don't be dahlia. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Be bold. Because here's what I believe. I believe that this phoboros fear, the fear of the terrible, is something we only encounter uh, on seldom occasions. It's not something we deal with daily. I believe the other two are the ones we encounter more often. And for those of us that have lived a while and we have a little bit of wisdom and we've got some life experience, we understand the eulabea kind of fear because we go, you know, I'm not going to do that. I tried that once. It didn't go well, so I'm not going to do that again. But for most or If not all of us, the one we faced most often, that is most common, is this dahlia where we just go, you know, I can imagine this not going well, so I'm just gonna pull back. I'm gonna pull back from that, I'm not going to engage because I'm intimidated by the possible negative outcomes of my choices. And it's not a wise thing, it's a lack of courage. It's not born out of taking in what is going on around us and filtering this information, but instead it is choosing to believe that the worst possible is the probable. This is when we go, I'm not going to talk to my spouse because they are not going to take this well. Instead of believing in my spouse and saying, you know, this will be hard but I want to give them the chance to deal with this. This is the fear that says, I am not going to try something courageous because I don't want to fail. I'm so afraid of failing, I'll do nothing. And this is the one that Paul says to Timothy, hey, Timothy, don't get caught in this. Don't be intimidated. And Paul knew there was good reason for Timothy to be intimidated. Because if you remember that scripture I read, he's talking to Timothy and he says, don't be intimidated, but be bold. Share your faith. God gave us a spirit. Can you remember what the three are? A spirit of power, love, thank you. A sound mind. So here he's saying, you know, face this because we have the power of God. We've experienced the love of God and get to share that. And somehow God has given us the ability to process the information we need to process so that we don't get stuck and intimidated in fear from doing things that are good. I need to give away some of these. We're distracted by them. So, <clears throat> Jana, would you like one? Take, take the whole thing. Take the whole... oh that's not Jana. All right, let's see. What are the young people here? Well, Trinity, come up here. Take this whole thing back there, and you and your sisters. I apologize. I don't have gluten-free, sugar-free, organic, or anything like that. Okay. And and here's some makeshift things to wipe your hands with. Okay, um, so that is how we define our fear. Let's go forward here, uh, Joel. You see, when we live in that place of intimidation and we're caused to hesitate, we end up in a place where we don't really belong for very long. And as I was thinking about this this week, I was reminded of, of something I'd read about, and I went back and I did a little bit more research. Some of you have probably heard of this, but when you climb Mount Everest, the highest mountain in the whole world, when you climb Mount Everest, there is an area above, above 8,000 meters high. When you go above 8,000 meters up the mountain, they call it the death zone. And since I did a little bit of research, since 2017, 288 people have died in that zone. That's quite a few. And recently, they just closed the climbing season to Mount Everest. This is what tipped me off because I was listening to the radio and they said, we just closed the climbing season and we lost this many people that were climbing. And if you go to Mount Everest today, there are people literally in line from base camp to try and get to the top because everybody's traveling there and I want to be able to say I climbed the highest mountain in the world. It is deadly. It is extremely deadly. Does anybody know why they call that the death zone above 8,000 meters? oxygen. You get above 8,000 meters, the air is so thin, you cannot breathe in enough oxygen to keep your muscles moving. So they do certain things. Some of them train, they acclimate, and they get up in those high elevations, and they train their bodies to really try to take in all the oxygen it can. And these guys that they call Sherpas, they live up there, so they're a little better at that. But some of us folks that are flatlanders, all of us qualify, We have to do other things. And so they take these little oxygen bottles along and every once in a while you take a puff of oxygen, you keep going, it kind of re-energizes. But here's the thing, as I was reading about this and I was checking again on the death zone when you get above 8,000 meters, many, many, many times there are people who get into that high altitude place and they are getting exhausted and they stop. They're alive. They can still walk. They can still talk. But because they stop, they die. And so there's a guy, or the remains of a guy, up on Everest, inside a little alcove. They call it a cave, it's not really a cave. They call it the Green Boots Cave, and here's the reason it got the term. There's a guy that's laying outside. His remains are there, and he has green boots on, and they can tell you who he is. They've documented that. But if you look inside, there's a guy who is seated, crouched kind of down, pulling his knees up. You can go online if you're into this kind of thing. It's a little macabre. I saw it. But there's a picture of him holding his knees to himself, frozen in place, and he's been there for years. And they call him the guy that's in the Green Boots cave. And they, they know who he is. And there were people who were up there with him. And when they went by, they talked to him. And they said, hey, what are you doing? And he said, well, you know, I'm not doing well right here. And actually, it was a bit controversial because at one point, he started asking people for help. And they said, no. I've got to get myself out of the death zone. I can't help you. I'm not putting my own at risk for you. And he died there in place. Now, here's what I think. As I was reading that, I thought, you know, there are people I can think of whose lives are defined by fear, who, are, who stayed in the death zone, and we walk by and say, hey, are you going okay? Or maybe they said, you know, I'm not doing very well. Yeah, you're not doing very well. I hope you get some help with that. Spiritually speaking, when we stop at that place where we let that daily fear stop us, we become frozen, particularly when it comes to sharing our faith. Well, I shared my faith once and my friend laughed at me. I'm not going through that again. And we are frozen and the gospel stops in our lives. Or, you know, I tried to do the right thing at work and they made fun of me. I'm not going to do that again. I'm just going to sit in my cubicle. I'm not going to. And holiness in our life has met a boundary. Or you know what? I was there. I was going to sit next to that person in dining hall at school. But when I went to do that, all my, ki- all my friends said, what are you doing? Why are you going to sit with them? And I'll never do that again. And the love and compassion we could share, it, it met that boundary and it stopped. And we got stuck in the death zone. So here's the thing. Move us forward, Joel. We can fear the death zone. We can know where it is. On Everest, we know it's above 8,000 meters. We can fear the death zone. We know where it is in our own lives. It's when I have to live out my faith when other people are watching. It's when I feel that the Lord is asking me to say something and I'm afraid of what other people will think when I say. It's when I try to do what I know is right and other people around me are completely doing the opposite. And we can be aware of that. We can even be intimidated by that, but we cannot get stuck by that. So we are people, if we are going to be alive, we are people who need to keep moving. We don't belong staying in that death zone. And living is defined by moving. The guy in the Green Boots cave was still living, but he was no longer moving, and so he was dying. And so there are some of us who are living but our faith is no longer moving, and we're no longer moving in regard to the things that intimidate us, and so we are Christians who are dying. And I would suggest to you that a lot of churches in the United States are churches that are living, but they're dying. Because they've become intimidated by what change might do to us, and why, what those people would do if they started attending our church. And what would happen? What would people think if we started to reach out to them? And so they're dying because we're intimidated by that. Years ago, I had a superintendent came and talked to me because we had a sister church in our conference. And they said, you know, this church is, is dying. That's the way we defined it. And when we started talking about what was happening, they said, well, you know, the pastor had invited an Alcoholics Anonymous group to meet in the church basement. okay. You know, we have the space, nobody's using it, and here are people who are trying to put their lives back together. And the pastor told the congregation that we're going to have the meet here and I'm going to try to encounter them because these are people who need Jesus. And after a few weeks he was met in the parking lot by a group of the church members and they said, Pastor, you need to stop this. And he said, why? He said, because you know, when they get done, they stand out in front of our church and they smoke and we're afraid of what people will think if they drive by our church and they see people smoking. And so they shut down Alcoholics Anonymous and within a year, year and a half, we shut down the church. I want to tell you, friends, there are, There are plenty of times when the world will intimidate you and we go, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid I'm going to mess this up. I'm afraid afraid that somehow I'm going to pay a price I don't want to pay. But if God is giving us opportunities and he's calling us to share his love with somebody and we fail to do that, he will take the life therein to someone else and we will die. We will die. So go forward again. This is another video about irrational fear. We don't need sound on this one. Oh, it's not going to work. That's okay. I will describe it to you. I'll describe it to you. Some of you have heard of fainting goats. Some of you have seen this video online. It, it really is hilarious, but I really feel sorry for these poor animals. There's a couple of goats standing in these people's yard, and they, they tell you in the video that they heard that it somebody else's goats really love to play with a big exercise ball, and they jump on top of it. So they take an exercise ball out there, and there's two goats standing there, and they kick the ball toward the goats just very slowly. And these fainting goats, as soon as that ball comes up, they just freeze up, fall over, legs in the air. Have you guys seen it? Some of you have seen it. It's hilarious, and it's terrible. These goats have an inbred propensity that what happens is when they sense any kind of threat it, it has nothing to do with fainting they don't pass out but their muscles seize up and they fall over now there's a the theory that's going around that maybe this is an evolutionary thing and you know these goats are the ones that when a wolf came along they fainted froze up and they became supper for the wolf so the others could run away don't become supper for the wolf you see, there are times in our lives when we have experienced pain, we've experienced suffering, we've experienced hardship, and we see something coming and it looks and it smells like and it kind of feels like it's something that we should be afraid of. And when it comes, we do that very thing. We roll over with our feet in the air and we play dead. And if we do that, sooner or later we will be dead. We will become the wolf's dinner. So the, the challenge is to face those things that we fear and overcome. Maybe we need to fight. Maybe we need flight. But when it's that daily of fear, if we give into it, we stop. We're not going to end here in this series. And we have no business stopping here because there's other things that I think God can teach us through this. But Every week in this series, I want to remind you, there are people who are trained to deal with these things. If you are incapacitated by what you have experienced and by what you're imagining could happen to you, we have people that can help you with this. We have Sid here right in our building who's a therapist who can deal with these issues of fear and anxiety. You can talk to me. You can talk to Pastor Stephanie. There are all kinds of other professionals around. Please don't get stuck there. Please remember there are spiritual dimensions to this fear. And also, please remember, just as Paul was saying to Timothy, don't give in to a spirit of fear and timidity. My friends, let's not be a church that gets intimidated. Let's live in the boldness of Christ. Amen. I want to invite the band to come back up, and we're going to sing in closing here. And uh, Stephen will give you instructions for our offering. But let's, let's come up, band, and... Uh, Let's prepare our hearts and ask God to give us a spirit of boldness and courage and a sound mind.